Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions of the snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there, raises it up in the rankings. You can subscribe wherever you found us, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends. Anybody that you know is into Texas Longhorn News in sports. We also like to remind you that our podcast host, Podient, is offering all of our listeners a 14-day free trial of their premium services and 25% off your first three months of an already affordable premium membership. All you got to do is sign up using the offer code LONGHORN. That's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O. Sign up using the offer code LONGHORN. But my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who is so excited to see Imagine Dragons perform that we're recording on time tonight, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you doing? <laughs> you got me with a uh, with a flabbergasted intro. Congratulations! It took but a but a mere couple of years. Imagine Dragons. Uh, I I imagine uh, there is nothing worse that you could listen to. Um, I, I I'm excited that uh, as we record right now, Alabama Crimson Tide is down. I can't say that much longer. By the end of this podcast, I don't know that that will be the case. But go Clemson. Go hard. Probably by the time that you hear this, one of those teams has won, unless you're listening to this at like midnight when we posted, basically, uh, the game could still be going. Yeah, quintuple overtime, you know? Hey, it, it happens in the SEC. It just means more, so you need more football to get the job done. Uh, so the Texas football season is over, so we're going to do our basketball kind of catch up, see where we're at, give you the state of the state. We will do some football because... You know, it is the Longhorn Republic. So we're going to talk some end of the year rankings, some 2019 predictions, because I mean, what better time to make predictions about the future than the earliest possible juncture to do it. I've got a little bit of news for you about the high school all-star games. Some volleyball awards were given out while we were on that weird schedule. And obviously we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. So Kyle, we have not done much basketball coverage this year because Football has been big time. We didn't need to uh, drown our sorrows in the round ball. But Texas has started Big 12 play. They started Big 12 play 2-0, the men's basketball team. For the first time, they started Big 12 play 2-0 since the 2010-2011 season. So Texas is looking good, at least on the men's side. The women are also doing really well, but we'll get to them in just a moment. So Kyle, if you were to kind of sum up, the secret to their success and kind of your feelings on Texas basketball, you know, two games into conference play, like what, how would you sum that up? Well, I'll just say this. I think 2010, 2011 was the last time that the university of Texas basketball ranked number one in the country. So I think that's obviously some kind of omen um, that we, uh, that we will win the rest of our games, you know, throughout until the end of the tournament. Um, No, I, I think, uh, I think this Texas team is, is streaky is hot and cold um somehow we've talked about it before all texas sports are allotted a certain amount of points at the beginning of the year and uh they have to decide how they how they spend them like the uh what's that fantasy football where you have a free agent budget or whatever um like a dynasty yeah, yeah, yeah. They have to. They have to. You know, each each uh, each time decide how they allot those points and hope hope the other team doesn't doesn't go just as high. Um, they've lost some some close ones. They've won 
some close ones. They have had a couple of blowouts as as a team of their caliber should. Um, right now, they're they're trending in the right direction. You know, they're they're peaked up. I think um, getting um, kind of this start to the Big Twelve, even though it may not be the hardest teams in the Big Twelve, um, is is good for the team for the confidence and just kind of to, to shore up what may have been. Um, kind of a rough couple weeks where they they lost to some teams that they probably should not have. Um, you know, there's teams like uh, Providence, who's I think number in the 70s in Ken Palm's rankings, and then Radford, who's well over 100 in those same rankings. Um, but even with that, Texas currently sits at 25 in again the Ken Palm rankings. That doesn't necessarily mean um, they have a number next to their name. They are currently unranked. But if you keep winning which they, they could very well do. Um, you know, it, it could turn out to be a good year. I think there's um, I think there's talent. Uh, they're especially deep at the guard position. Um, we, we've actually just recently seen them, and I don't know if this is a Big 12 kind of uh, thing that Shaka was saving, but fiddle a little bit with a small ball lineup with Dylan O at the five, and so it kind of shows the, the, the guard depth and talent and lets them um, kind of give teams a different look than the two bigs that we've been used to. Um, so it's interesting. It'll be curious to see how they best maximize uh, all that talent. Um, but again, it comes down to a team that if they're hitting their threes, they can beat anyone. See North Carolina. Um, and if they're not, they can, you know, who knows they could lose to, to anyone. See, see Radford. So it's a, it's a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde, but again, they're 10 and four for what was not a great start to the season. So you have to feel pretty good about that floor the work that they've done to repair a pretty poor start to the season has been impressive. Now, like you said, they haven't really hit the murderers row of the big 12 play. I mean, right. a couple of days out from it, but you know, when you're able to, you know, win what five of five of six, five of six to, yeah. to, to right the ship a little bit, like that's helpful. And that, that shows promise. I think, um, you know, and they've done this in a stretch where Snoop Roach hasn't really played well. Yeah, and I, and I think it's key. We said in in the off season, we said it in our early kind of recaps of individual games. We've we've said it as is you know as breath will allow us as many times. Uh, this team will go as far as Snoop Roach takes them. Him coming back was pretty integral to this team. So them being able to win when he's not at his best is a nice development. Um, we saw against you know North Carolina and, and some of those teams that. Um, truly he has the potential to play like a top 20 player in the country um, on a given night. And when he does that, that's how they're going to have to beat some really good teams. I mean, the big 12 is loaded. There's seven teams with 10 wins right now. Um, again, that's out of 10 teams. That's, that's a lot of, of teams that are good. Um, they have uh, six in the top 26 um, kind of Ken Palm rankings. They, uh, they have there's going to be talent and and like you said this has not been the murderers row um caveat they won on the road in the big 12 that's a big deal that doesn't happen they went to manhattan and won that doesn't always happen but kind of those things stated um you know they they, they play oklahoma state next um they play tomorrow this is recorded on monday they play on tuesday uh that will be the three worst teams in the in the big 12 and then they go to they go through a stretch of tech Kansas, Oklahoma, and TCU, and again, that is uh, that is probably top ten teams, Tech and Kansas, um, and and Oklahoma and TCU teams that are that are top you know twenty five ish, right in that range. So that's a a brutal test that will probably reveal a lot about what this season is going to be. If they can pick up two of those games, I think it it 
it's a positive sign for me. Any two, just pick pick two, pick them up, and I think I'm fine with it. Probably, I mean, Texas doesn't really have a home court advantage, but probably the home games are your better options. Yep. But I think at some point, kind of like what we said at the beginning of the football season, which we always relate everything back to football, you know, you come out of that stretch with an even result, and you can build on that because – they're ahead at this point, which feels like a good position to be in. I mean, obviously, going into the tough part of the Big 12, which continues to be one of the better conferences in the nation that doesn't get as much shine as it should, uh, it's it's really a grind, like it is every week. It's, it's a grind. I mean, any team can beat you on any given night. We see that week in and week out. Granted, you know, the first three teams Texas played are combined 0-6, but that's either here nor there. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a tough league, and... and I mean, like I said, if Texas is able to come out with a 500 mark out of these next four games, I feel pretty confident. Yeah, and and I think I think it should be said, right? Like we we've talked about the team and what they can do. It should be said about the individual pieces. There's some there's some players on this team that can be game changers. Of course, we talked about Snoop Roach, um, who is having a, a really even season defensively, offensively. He's been a little bit up and down. He's been very good, and then he's been kind of average. Um, he hasn't been terrible too often um so you know I, i'll take him being somewhere in between that being you know quite good most nights and have the the occasional you know flair for for 30 points um but beyond him um you've had matt coleman who's starting to kind of look finally as he's entered big 12 play um like the point guard that we've hoped he would be he's probably had one other game this whole season that he was the best player um or or you know at least the best version of himself that's a guy who gets you know five five assists and no turnovers and runs the offense and plays good defense and hits a couple open shots like if you get that matt coleman they're going to win some games this year um he hasn't always been that but he's done that in the the opening big 12 play so that's promising uh jace febris who's been you know our best shooter this year has been shooting very well and also playing some pretty good defense um so i think like those are all really nice developments and then i think obviously the the biggest story for this Texas team is kind of the emergence of Jackson Hayes. So um, a guy who didn't necessarily fit the Texas big mold of one and dones that we've had, he didn't come with quite that hype. And and I think in week one um, didn't necessarily have those aspirations, but you're seeing mock drafts now list him um, in the high teens, low twenties. And there's still a lot of season to play for a guy who um, again, just seemed to be raw and probably was a two year player. Uh, I, I truly hope he stays. I think he can be special if he finishes out, this year takes an off season with the coaches um, because we know Darren Horn is one of the best coaches of big men in, in the country. And if he can, he can kind of do an off season with him, come back next year, then I think he can be a lottery pick. Um, but he's kind of become not quite the Mo Bamba doesn't quite have that sensation and cachet. Um, but he's been the guy that makes it besides, you know, Snoop Roach is on uh, fun to watch Texas basketball this year. And I think just the the rising tide is starting to raise all the ships for the big men because Hayes is coming on. Hepa has been impressive other than the three-point shooting. That was kind of what he was sold as, as the right. big man who can shoot threes. But he's played really well on the glass and defensively in his, you know, in his sparing minutes. He's, he's averaging about 10 minutes a game. Um, so the rising tide, I think, for the big men is really helping push everything uh, up, which is a positive in my book because – when push comes to shove, I, I think that Texas is going to need big plays from its big men, especially as the guards struggle with consistency. It's the best way I can describe it. 
Yeah, and, and Court, Courtney Ramey is a guy who has a lot of talent. We're waiting for him to show that consistency, exactly like you said, and kind of show it day in, day out and make that leap. Um, Elijah Long is a guy who sometimes looks like their version of Patty Mills and is that spark plug, and then sometimes kind of you're wondering about his shot selection and some of those sets. Um, like I said, we've talked about a lot of guards, and I talked about it a little bit, but them playing Dylan O at the five has been good for everyone because it's also good for Dylan O. Um, you don't make him be kind of the stretch guy where he's really he's shot a lot of them but that's really not his game I think people forget that um he's not like a really pure shooter from that power forward position and and playing him at the five um you know allows other guys to be the shooters and him to to you know focus on the glass focus on his post a little bit and one one thing that he's been doing whether it's in that lineup or other is he's been he's been going off the dribble a little bit more um probably the past four or five games and so I think that's that's a really good development I think We'll see how that translates in Big 12 play. Like I said, obviously, how good, you know, our bigs are uh, will, will, you know, determine what type of lineup we play and will determine how much, you know, how many different looks this team, which should have a lot of different sets they can throw at an opponent. Um, they can go really big and be very big. They can go small and quick and do that very well. And that should be one of their strengths. You know, I, I see the ceiling uh, as maybe, you know, third place. And, and who knows if they make a wild run, even like a second place in the Big 12. But I mean, we didn't even mention Iowa State because uh, they weren't in that little little run. But they're a very good team. Just beat Kansas. Uh, I mean, there are some there are some some big dogs in the in the Big 12, which I think uh, you don't even have to caveat is the best basketball conference in the country. For sure. So Texas's next five, they're at Oklahoma State. They are at home against Tech. They go to Larry, Kansas to take on the Jayhawks, which is a nightmare. They come back home, host OU, and then travel to TCU. So these next five games could be pivotal. We didn't talk about, we said we were going to talk about it, the ladies. Yes, the Texas absolutely. women's basketball team, they are continuing to do what they do. I think at our last update, we talked about how they were taking on the Stetson Hatters and trying to kind of snap a two-game losing streak. So just to catch you up, early December, Texas played two top 10 teams, lost to both. One was very lopsided. One was not so lopsided. Uh, Mississippi State put the boots to them 67-49, to where they played Tennessee close, only lost by six. Then they rattled off five straight. They're starting Big 12 play with back-to-back wins over Oklahoma State and West Virginia. And now they're hosting the Oklahoma Sooners Wednesday night at the Frank Irwin Center. So, Kyle, your impressions of the women's basketball team, 14-2 and heading into conference play. Now they're 16-2, and two games into conference play. Yeah, they, uh, they are... I mean, they are clearly there's 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 a lot of talent in the women's side of the Big 12 as well. I mean, there are 10 win teams all across this conference, but I think there's really a big two and maybe a big three, depending. I think Baylor looks like the real deal. They're 11 and one right now. They did uh, beat UConn, which, you know, I, I, some crazy stat like it's the first UConn regular season loss in a decade, like just wild how good know is in that program is but Baylor beat them. So that's that's definitely frightening. Um, you know, again, that would. I would feel better about a full strength UT um, taking on Baylor. And luckily they don't play them till uh, towards the end of the campaign, which, you know, gives me a little bit more hope, but I think um, Texas has every, uh, every bit of talent and coaching. And now they're kind of seem to be, to be getting it all going uh, at the kind of right time. They did beat an Oklahoma state team. That's, you know, 10 and three in, in, in a, in a ranked team um, in, in one of the polls, but uh, you know, they have all the stuff they can, 
get through these next two games, which Oklahoma and then going to Ames. Ames, Iowa State is a, is a really solid uh, women's team this year. If they can get through both of those with wins, I really can see them kind of making it down to that Baylor game, which is uh, about a month from now in February um, and, and coming in, you know, they've held steady at number 13 in the country for a few weeks. Uh, I could see there being, you know, if, if they win all those games, it being something like a, you know, two versus seven or, you know, six matchup for, for the horns. Um, so, you know, uh, they have, they have the roadmap to have a really, really good season they just need to execute, beat the teams they need to, and kind of play their their best game. They're good enough that they are the, the most dangerous threat to themselves. Yeah, they should really go through Big 12 play with just two losses is really what it feels like. It's basically beat everybody, and hopefully you can squeeze one out against Baylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was This is just something that I did for my own personal edification. Kyle, I want you to take a shot at Kim Mulkey's Kim Mulkey's winning percentage as the the Baylor head coach because this is a stunt. What winning percent? I'm going to ask you for a number of wins, just percentage. Oh, I, I could see it being something stupid like eighty, you know, five percent. Oh wow! So eighty four point six percent. No way! No way! Yeah, yeah. I thought I, yeah, I thought I was going high on that. That that's silly. She has lost fewer than a hundred games in. You ready for this? 18 seasons as Baylor's head coach. Yikes. She's been at Baylor since 2000 and has lost 98 games. So Baylor's a monster, but that's, that's just, that's your weekly. Like, let's see if we can stump our co-host trivia moment. Uh, but back to the Texas women. It, it, this is a team that in spite of being banged up is still the class of the conference. You know, it's, it's Baylor and then Texas. And if, Texas doesn't end up in the same side of the bracket as Baylor. They could look at, you know, an elite eight kind of matchup in, in the mm-hmm. NCAA tournament. If you could spin it that far forward, it's such a talented team. Uh, Karen Aston has got them moving in the right direction. So I, I'm just excited to see what they can do. Uh, they play really well away from Austin. They're perfect on the road and they're perfect at neutral sites. So I'm interested to see how the rest of the season shakes out for them. Uh, if they can continue that dominance away from home. Yeah, and I mean, the, the the nice thing with them is they're talented enough that they can score the basketball from a lot of different people. You know, they have four four women averaging over 10 points. One of those is, is uh, Higgs, who's who's injured. But um, they, they have three active players over, averaging over 10 and two more at 9.9 and 9.7. Our girl Danny Williams right there at uh, 9.9 needs to get over the hump. But, uh, you know, they can score from basically five players. Um, so, you know, that... that if someone has an off night, that doesn't kill them. You know, there's a lot of teams across the country, UConn, you know, not being in this conversation. And at this point, really, Baylor, not either. Um, but there's a lot of teams that have one or two players that if you can, you can kind of get get them on an off night, you can beat them. This Texas team is deep enough. Um, and they have some of their young freshmen who are really hitting their strides that um, I think it's, like you said, very plausible that they can go through Big 12 um, and not add more than two, maybe three at the absolute max. Um you know, losses the rest of the season. So it's, it's, uh, it's looking up. And and like I said, the healthier that they get as some players get closer to coming back, the scarier that they can be for sure. So now let's move on. We, we said we would do this last week. We didn't want to dive too much into it, uh, in our sugar bowl recap show, which you can check that out. If you want to hear two men drinking as much burn orange Kool-Aid as you possibly can. Uh, so <laughs> it's the end of the year. Ba- football season is wrapping up as we record 
Clemson just scored to go up 21-16. I like throwing those things in there to uh, really date this podcast permanently. Like, this will be dated (laughs) by the time most people listen to it. Uh, But, so, this is going to determine the number one and number two teams uh, for uh, for 2018 as it closes the books. So, Mm -hmm. Texas was number 15 heading into the Sugar Bowl. They took on the number, I believe it was five school. That that beautiful yes. five spot that says, "Hey, you're really good, but just not good enough." So, <laughs> and they beat them in fairly dominant fashion for, we'll call it eighty percent of the game. Uh, so, we'll start here. What do you think? Where do you think Texas shakes out as the uh, the postseason rankings uh, fall? Well, I mean, I think by beating Georgia, you automatically move into the into the top ten. Um, I think uh, I think it'll be interesting because. Uh, there were some teams ahead of them that that lost, right? So you you have automatically teams like Michigan just just you know didn't look like a good team at all. I think they're going to be below them. UCF obviously lost. Um, you have you know uh, an LSU team that beat that US UCF team, but um, I don't know that you necessarily are going to put them ahead. I mean, I think obviously your Alabama, uh, Clemson. Sadly, Notre Dame, because it's their first loss. Uh, Oklahoma will still be up there. Um, Georgia should certainly be below them. Um, Ohio State will probably be ahead of them. And so if you kind of count teams that way, I think it's somewhere in the in the sub-10 after 6 range. It could be anywhere in there. My pick, just because I'm keeping it on trend, because A, I love Jordan Shipley, and B, I love um, aptly named play call. So I'm going to hit him with the old number 8. Uh- I was I was gonna say nine. So you and I are right in the same range. I think they just sneak into the top ten. I think the ugly the ugly play against some teams is still gonna hurt them, even though they came out and absolutely dominated dominated a Georgia team that was supposed to be to by their own uh, counting the best team in the country. So I yeah. really think that Texas ends up in the top ten, right inside the top ten. I'm like I'm, I feel number nine feels right to me. I'm not sure why, but nine nine felt right as soon as the game was over and when we saw how everything else shook out. Uh, so that was quick. So what we want to do now is we want to spin it forward to 2019 to see what the roster, what our depth chart is going to look like. Uh, we're basing this off of some work, that incredible work done by Westcott uh, over at Born Orange Nation. You can check it out. We have a full roster matrix breakdown heading into 2019. Uh, looking at where Texas stands, there are still some question marks out there. We don't know who of the quarterbacks, if any, are going to transfer. We know that Casey Thompson and Cam Rising both have entered the transfer portal. That does not mean you are transferring. There's also rumors that Shane Bouchelle will graduate transfer so he'll be immediately eligible uh, and have two years of eligibility left based upon this year's red shirt again running backs we don't know Kyle Porter probable transfer candidate and we don't know the decision of Lil Jordan Humphrey in the draft we do know Colin Johnson made his decision to come back and we are all very very happy about that defensively Texas has to replace seven potentially eight or nine guys depending on how you count it uh, based on Brandon Jones's decision whether or not he wants to go to the NFL. So let's let's go let's just go offense because offense has fewer holes to fill and then right. we'll jump into the defense. Kyle, does that feel feel like a fair fair way to go about it? I think so, yeah. Okay, so we know the quarterback. Quarterback is, is pretty much set in stone, right? Sam Ellinger gonna be the guy. I there's no controversy there, no hot takes right. there. Right. Sam Ellinger is gonna be the guy. Running back, not a ton of Discussion to be had there. I don't think either. I think Keontae Ingram, clear number one. I don't know who else can really push for that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think obviously Keontae, I think you're right. Who is at the top of the step chart is not a question. It's who comes in that number two spot that I think is going to be the interesting part uh, with the running back position. Obviously, I think that's Danny Young's to lose from the beginning because he was the one other guy uh, who's on the roster. Shouts to, to Trey Watson. Wish you had more time. What a wonderful, like, just let me take a quick aside, actually. What a wonderful one year, like, I don't know that I will ever love a player who I've known for less than 365 days more than either Calvin Anderson or Trey Watson. Like both of those guys, uh, rumor had it that Calvin Anderson after the game was running through the hotel shouting SEC who, SEC who, um, which is fantastic. Uh, Just both of those guys coming in, buying in 1000%, being a part of this Texas culture that it doesn't matter if you're, you know, 18 and you just stepped on or you're 22 and you've already put in a full shift at a, both in both cases, a wonderful university um, and, and graduated and, and you're coming to kind of do a victory lap uh, at, at UT, but bought into the Texas culture. And really, I think guys are going to learn and model and think about those two players for years to come at their position. But that is a bit of an aside to go back. Trey before, Watson's before not. Before you move on from that. Oh, yeah. Uh, my, my, we are a Trey Watson stand podcast. I said it on Twitter. Uh, Trey Watson is a guy that if he's here in the spring, he's probably a captain in the fall. Just throwing that out there that's Mm -hmm. that's the kind of feeling we are huge trey watson fans uh so now that we've all gushed about trey watson let's get back who's our number two running back in 2019 (laughs) so i mean i think obviously like i said daniel young was the number three so if you just subtract he moves up to the number two but i mean i would not be surprised if by the by the you know sixth week of the season if darian uh darian brown is actually taking some carries away from him um I, i think you know young has the the kind of interesting thing that it's a thunder and lightning like Keontae Ingram's gonna you know he can put the put the hat down but he'd rather kind of slide past you um where where Young is gonna probably try to run through you and so they make maybe a better compliment depending on exactly what type of home run threat Brown is where he fits in there um I think the the most interesting guy every year on campus and really there's two of them at this position I think Kirk Johnson you know kind of was Springs number three running back or four running back um didn't take a carry it's his senior year Collins coming back. Let Kirko muscles, you know, let 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 him <laughs> let him eat a little bit. Let them dreadlocks and biceps just intimidate people coming through the line. Like I would love if he got three carries to five carries a game and, and actually got to prove it. And then Tristan Houston behind him, two guys who've, you know, been spring game warriors and just can never keep it healthy through the full season and, and get carries. That's kind of our depth, but I think it's a very clear you know, Danny Young has it, it's his to lose, and then where the, the, the freshman can come. And again, we're doing this way early. There could be more names. There could be changes. There could be things happening at that position. But, you know, I, the, I'm i most curious about the backup or the number two spot. Yeah, and I think that you see a lot of Danny Young as a situational guy. I think Danny Young is going to be your short yardage, your goal line guy. He's probably in mm-hmm. in some sort of wildcat package, whether Lil Jordan Humphrey comes back or you've got a guy like Jordan Whittington running the wildcat. Uh, we'll talk about mm-hmm. Jordan Whittington here in just a moment. Um, yeah, I think Darian Brown, and I said this on our on our signing day wrap up show. Like people are sleeping on Darian Brown because they're salty Texas missed on two guys that they probably weren't going to get. Like yep. they were, they were Bama and anywhere else guys all season. So people are going to be shocked at how good he is simply yeah. because they're sleeping on him. So I think you're absolutely right where he is pushing for that backup spot because we do think Kyle Porter is gone. Now Kyle Porter is back in burnt orange, which again, 
you don't deactivate a guy after four games uh, and him probably not transfer. Uh, I think Darian Brown probably does push for that backup spot. It's it's Keontae Ingram's show from here on out. There there are some talks of Texas pushing for DeAndre Glass out of Katy, but that's highly unlikely. Most of the crystal balls are pushing the Oklahoma State way. They may go look at a grad transfer guy or a JUCO guy that's unyet to be signed, but that that could shake these things up um, as we make these predictions way too early. That's kind of the fun of it. Or, and we will see this as we slide down the depth chart, because there's so much talent in one of the other position rooms, there are guys who've carried the ball before, um, you know, who could come in and they could just feature in some interesting packages. I mean, you, you look at a uh, Whittington and Jake Smith guys who, you know, again, I wouldn't call them really straight tweeners. They they certainly play um, their receivers, but they can when you're in high school and you're that talented. It's like, how do we get the ball in your hands as quick as possible? Um, so they played running back. I think either of those guys could see a few snaps positionally and especially, you know, um, when you think of like what a Christian McCaffrey can do at that level as a guy who's more dangerous catching the ball out of the backfield than, you know, necessarily running it and just what that does to a defense. It could be interesting to see how often those types of packages are used. Yeah. Whittington himself said that he, he feels like he's an Alvin Kamara type, mm-hmm. which I'd be okay with that, <laughs> uh, that type of comparison or that type of uh, analog. I, I'm going to say this right now and it's probably going to piss somebody off. You can tweet at me at GH Goodridge, use the hashtag replies of Texas. Um, Jordan Winnington is not a running back. He's not. Most of his carries for Cuero were as a Wildcat quarterback. Right. And it's a completely different skill set. Yep. Whereas as a running back, you've got get the ball, make the read. Mm-hmm. You've got nine, nine or ten guys blocking for you. Uh, as a Wildcat quarterback, you have that extra guy. It's a one read and run situation. Um, and he was most games if not all games the best athlete on the field so right it's a it's a different skill set but i do think he's the kind of guy that he's just talented enough where they're like dude we're gonna find you a spot and mm-hmm. you're gonna do something like that's mm-hmm. so that i do i do think you see him but i do not see any sort of move to running back from him i think it's definitely a situational situation i was in trouble on that one so wide <laughs> receivers uh we'll move on we know Colin Johnson is coming back for a senior year, so yep. the X position is pretty much sewn up. Uh, he will be at that X position that he was pretty dominant. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute. Little Jordan Humphrey has not made his decision yet. There are all sorts of message boards, smoke, and rumors, but we're not going to go into that. So we'll do one if he is back and one if he is not back. If yep. he's back, it's Little Jordan Humphrey's spot at the H. Yep. Uh, if he And then Devin Duvernay at the Z with uh, Cade Brewer probably at the Y. So if Lil' Jordan Humphrey is not back, the options there are plentiful mm-hmm. and bountiful yeah, and beautiful. <laughs> so Jake Smith, Jordan Winnington, Deshaun Jameson, Joshua Moore, John Burt, Avanti Woodward. Uh, there are about six guys that could possibly play in this spot. So, what what does that look like to you? How do you see that shaking out? I think if little Jordan Humphrey comes back and you bring back those three receivers, you have one of the best like intact week one receiving cores in the country. Like bringing back those two guys and Duvernay and that much talent with a returning quarterback, um, 
that just makes whoever the next guy or two guys on the field that much more dangerous because defenses have to look at the two big guys. They know what Duvernay can do. Like they have to be watching all three of those. And that means if you're getting a Deshaun Jameson underneath, if you're getting one of the young guys in Jake Smith or Jordan Whittington underneath, you know, whoever it is that's the other guy could just go off because all eyes elsewhere. Um, but even if, even if, you know, in, in the worst case scenario here, Truly, I guess it's not the worst case because Colin Johnson is back. But in the next worst case scenario, um, if Lil Jordan Humphrey decides to take his talents uh, to the NFL, um, I think I think you might see maybe Joshua Moore, who who looked pretty good as as kind of kind of my guy, and, and that's again because I'm talking down the depth chart. I wonder if Deshaun Jameson stays at receiver gets back to his original recruitment at cornerback um, or kind of does a little hybrid of both. But I think there's so much talent at receiver. You can do that because that's where that slot spot you quickly can put in either of Smith or Whittington or both. Like you can quickly put in the Gatorade player of the year. You can quickly put in a should be five star uh, receiver who, you know, is has just looked fantastic uh, in every chance we've got to see him in Whittington. Um, and, and that's just the freshman offense. Again, I don't want to sleep on uh, an Alvante Woodard or, or John Burt. You know, let's not forget the guy, uh, John Burt, when Bouchelle was throwing to him, if, and he's really worked on his hands, his hands when he's been healthy have looked much better, but back then just ran past dudes so fiercely and brutally that, you know, it, it, you could not, you could not stop him. He was a track star and you just threw it up. If you could, you know, put the deep ball on there, it was a touchdown assuming he catches it but so i mean there's there's so much talent here and a guy we talked about last week on the pod who i don't think is going to get a start but i hope he gets some looks because i like him and i feel like in the spring he worked well with cam rising is jordan pouncey i think he he's actually like at another school he's your guy you're talking about like all right this is this is the sophomore who's going to make a step up because he's got all the talent and he's finally going to get the look but he's he's buried behind some monsters and that's a good problem to have uh from texas but i really do think that if little Jordan Humphrey is gone, I like Josh Moore, Deshaun Jameson, you know, getting in that spot um, as as kind of the next up. Um, if if um, Brennan Eagles um, stays out on the outside, I, Eagles, I'm I'm not sure, you know, if if he can move, if he can, he's the type of receiver they want to move in first. Um, but I, I do think again, we just named about ten dudes who any of them could could start across the country. With with the needs on the defensive side of the ball, I wouldn't be surprised if Jamison dropped the wide receiver uh, from his his uh, position breakdown. He's right now listed at wide receiver defensive back. I wouldn't be surprised if they just moved him full-time to defense just with the depth need there. Jordan Winnington played in the slot at the Army All-American game mm-hmm. and absolutely looked like a day-one starter. Like absolutely look like a day one starter. And and this is another thing that again, I'm I'm gonna hot take it a little bit tonight. And there now we're going for our second one. I think a lot of Lil Jordan Humphrey's success in twenty eighteen was because people were rolling coverage to Colin Johnson and it allowed Lil Jordan Humphrey to be open in single coverage. And we said this all year he's a matchup nightmare because he's too big for a defensive back and he's too fast for a linebacker. And so yeah. if you have if you single cover him, he's going to kill you. The games where they chose to bracket little Jordan Humphrey and put Colin Johnson in single coverage, he was open. They didn't force the ball to him or like, OU, he reminded you why he was the preseason guy. So yeah. I think whoever ends up in that H spot, um, I, I think it's probably going to be Whittington over Smith and not any knock on Smith. That's basically like asking me, do I want to start a franchise with LeBron, Michael or Kobe? <laughs> like getting the, like, Hey, which one do you want? Any of them? Like, 
I'm fine with either of them. I think they're both incredible. I think Whittington has proven that he needs to be on the field in any way, shape, or form. And I think Jake Smith is one of the most dynamic uh, guys you're ever going to see with the ball in his hands. Um, and I'm going to make I'm going to make this comparison, and not for the easy reasons. Like people just blanket compare him to Jordan Shipley because they're both white. <laughs> uh, but if you look at when Shipley was at his best before the injuries, like his ability to make people miss his ability to just be flat out better than anybody to run by guys like they're standing still. That's mm-hmm. why I think Jake Smith is a, is an apt comparison. He's what is such a dynamic athlete. So I, I definitely think that, and then Duve, I think Devin Duve continues to just be a guy who, if Ellinger can put any sort of ball on him, he's, he's scoring five or six touchdowns in a year. Yeah, and I mean, the, I hate to keep bringing up the guys that could be, but we saw the the briefest of glimpses of what Malcolm Epps could look like out there out wide. You know, Colin Johnson doesn't come back. Again, I'm so glad he did. But there's some dudes who are chomping at the bit who have all the talent in the world. Like, I almost wonder if because there's so much talent and running back is a position that we're not as deep at, if we see some you know, empty sets and we're, we're putting five receivers out there where we don't have to make these, you know, these tough calls to take, you know, only your, your, your three faves, um, you know, but uh, apps kind of in, you know, basically what Lil Jordan Humphrey is was like Jimmy Graham that first year when uh, people didn't know what to do with the saints when he, they just put him in the slot. And it's like, no, no, you, you can't do that. You're too big, too fast. Epps could be that Epps could be that guy next. You know, he could be outside. He could be inside wherever you put him. He's a matchup nightmare. So again, we could spend, an hour and we might on receiver podcast, but I think we should probably keep, keep sliding down the depth chart for sure. So offensive line is going to be interesting. Texas losing quite a bit along the offensive line. They are returning one of the best offensive linemen in the conference and Sam Cosme. Yep. Uh, Shackelford is coming back as well, but other than that, it's, it's three question marks. Um, so I think one, the easy move is Cosme is probably going to slide from right to left. Yes. Shackelford will continue to hold down the center spot, but what is it? What do you think as far as on the side on, on either between those two guys? So Shaq caused me on the left side of the line and then who's the right side of the line. Uh, so right side of the line is interesting. I mean, it's interesting because I don't know where Kerstetter plays. He's, he's like one of Herb hands guys. Cause he can slot anywhere. He's probably going to be our backup center. Um, he also can, you know, he can play either guard or tackle. He's done that um, a, a good amount. Um, you know, throughout his career, he's kind of slotted in. I don't know what his best position is. Um, so it'll be curious if it's, you know, at that right tackle is uh, Kerstetter versus Okafor. Um, both of them can play either of those. I think it'll come down to Herb Hand saying which one is better for the scheme that we want to block for. But I kind of think the right side could be either one of those. Um, and that's assuming that um, you don't just get Junior Anglau coming in and, and making that spot his. I kind of think you 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 move over and you put Kirsten, or excuse me you put Cosme on that left tackle and because he's a little seasoned and a little experienced maybe you throw Angelau in that left guard spot kind of be the uh, kind of be the uh, the Vahe replacement and you just keep that left side nasty you know I I, I really like that from day one because I think that you're going to see a monster leap from those redshirt freshmen. Yeah, I Angel, I think Angelau slots in nicely at the left side. He's one of the guys in that class that was, I think, the most... Like, if Texas got in a pinch, you, you probably would have seen him. Thankfully, there was not a pinch this year like there was a year ago. Uh, but he's, he's going to be a guy that I think he starts for four years at that left guard spot. Uh, I think that right side, it's basically, like you said, going to be Okafor Kerstetter at one of those spots. Like, 
either it's Okafor at guard and Kerstetter at tackle, or you see Kerstetter slide in and Okafor go outside. Like it's, it's, that's, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be those two guys, regardless of which spot. And the beauty of it is Texas has done some interesting things in the blocking scheme, kind of playing around and sliding and slotting guys with the poles, with the blocking down, with the trap blocks that they're doing. Yeah. And if you remember last year, we talked about coach Zay with coach Zaytek on this podcast about, you know, herb hand cross trains. That's what he does so, so well. I mean, that's why high school offensive line coaches watch herb hand videos and teach on that. He wants guys who can play, you know, four to five positions on the offensive line. Um, and so I think it'll be interesting. You have guys who've been in the system a little while. You have like Topa Mod and some of these guys that because they have experience, maybe they get some reps, but you have so much young talent that even just with a year, you could see, you know, Rafidi Grimai, you could see obviously Junior Angelau. You could see a lot of these young guys um, outside of kind of the two set returners in Cosme and Shackelford um, and, and I guess Okafor to, to that extent. Um, come in and, and and really they might move it around some even situationally because they might have enough talent that they can they can give different looks which I don't know if I love that but they could I think the the 2017 offensive line experiment is a proof case in why you need guys that are cross trained because if everything blows up then you need guys that can basically just slide in and play wherever uh, yep. so moving on to the defensive side of the ball going to be an interesting thing to talk about Texas is losing its entire defensive line, those mm-hmm. starters, both linebackers, and what is that, four, three defensive backs? You've got Boyd, mm-hmm. Davis, P.J. Locke, potentially Brandon Jones. Yep. So that's that's a big big ask from, uh, from the Longhorns defensively. So let's start in the trenches and we'll move back. So defensive line, it seems like it's the season – for Keandre Coburn to hold down the middle. I think the writing is on the wall. I think the big man has already written on people's Twitter walls and he's going to hold it down. So Coburn, and then who, who do you think end up at those uh, end spots? So I'm actually going to challenge you because I really, really Uh-oh. like, and I think, I, you know, I love Coburn. He's one of my favorite dudes on the team. I really like GZ. I think Will Bond, your namesake, Gerald Michael Wilbon um, has a has a chance to uh, I'm not comparing you to Michael Wilbon that's me uh, has a chance to uh, to really kind of be that dude you saw him in the uh, in the um, Sugar Bowl kind of get the the fumble recovery he's smart uh, the players seem to love him like uh, he he you know he has a chance to be that next guy as a senior who comes in and is just kind of the Puna Ford Chris Nelson. Gerald Wilbon. I think Keandre Coburn might be more talented and has more upside than Wilbon, but I think Wilbon can step in and be a steadying force. You can rotate around him. And and there, let me say this. I think there's enough talent in that defensive line room that this could be more like what Todd Orlando wants his defensive line to be like than what we have he's been able to do in previous years because he didn't have the guys for what his scheme could do. He can have you know, rotating in, you don't have to just have a big dude in the middle and fast guys on the end. I think you won't probably replace a like for like Hager. I think you probably get, obviously Malcolm Roach is your anchor who comes in and puts his hand down next year. I think he even called himself a defensive lineman. He could play linebacker. He's quick enough to do those zone blitzes that they did really well in that game. Um, But I think, you know, Malcolm Roach and then a combination of Wilbon and Coburn in the center. And then I think this one is tough for me, but I think probably Taquan Graham over Bimage. Um, but again, I don't say that with any confidence. That's just my guess. Yeah, and, and I kind of baited you on that Wilbon thing. I'm not going to lie to you. I just wanted to get you riled up. But legitimately, I think 
they'll be able to have a rotation at tackle because I think uh, Christmas Giles is no slouch. I think no, it's just. Texas has just done a really, really good job of recruiting and developing uh, nose guards. I just, I think Keandre Coburn is probably the best pure nose tackle that the state of Texas has produced in a very long time. I've said that before. Oh, yeah. I'll say it again. Uh, so that's where I'd kind of ride with him. I think Malcolm Roach, as a defensive end, is one of those guys that tackles have trouble keeping up with his speed. He could get outsized in a couple of situations, but I think as far as speed for speed goes, and as far as a guy being able to kind of get a shoulder down, squeeze around a, a offensive tackle and put pressure on a quarterback. I don't think there's a better guy on this roster to do that. The other side, like you said, is going to be interesting. Um, I, I give it to Bimage just because I like, I love, I like Marquez Bimage. I think he is an incredible talent and he's going to be, uh, pretty scary, I think, for uh, for uh, defenders. And then we can't we can't get away without talking about Moro Jomo. Uh, that guy, they're gonna find ways to get him on the field. He's just too talented to not, to ride to ride the pine for another year. He's just way too talented. You saw flashes of it late in the season when oh, yeah. he came in, and there were a couple of plays where he just flat took over. Uh, and so you, you're going to hear his name quite a bit next year, I think. Yeah, I think I think you have a chance that Coburn and Ojomo in two years is like talking like you're talking about Clemson this national championship game. Like literally, oh, well, Texas has those two first round guys that you have to account for on the defensive line. I think they're that good. Like legitimately, I'm not trying to blow burn orange smoke. I think they're that talented. Um, both of those guys. Obviously, they're both young. Ojomo blew my mind. He's He was 17 this season. He didn't. I don't I still yeah. don't think he's 18. Um, which is wild that he's that big and strong and fast and talented and he should be a senior in high school. He hasn't fully developed. Like, he doesn't have his grown man body yet. Like, let's just take that into account. That's frightening. The complementary skill sets on Coburn, because Coburn is one of those guys like Puna Ford who's going to occupy two-plus blockers. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's impressive. Let's We're getting a little long in the tooth on this, so let's let's slide down to the linebackers. And Kyle, you got one more thing to add? Sorry, I just wanted to say it really quickly, and, and I know we're getting long. Jacoby Jones, one of the you know one of the guys during recruiting, we're like, wow, this is a huge pickup because he's going to slot in and play first right away. I don't know where he fits. He, he certainly has the talent to come in and be a, be one of our defensive ends, but we have a lot of guys. So I've almost talked myself into a unit that, you know, a year ago we said, wow, we're losing all three of our starters. That's going to be a down spot. Maybe just as good in week one and maybe twice as good by week seven as they were this year. And that's replacing a guy like Chuck Aminahu and a fan favorite who we both love in Chris Nelson. Uh, at linebacker, we've got the Shark, Jeffrey McCulloch. Yep. Probably Dele. Uh He was a guy that they wanted to get on the field this year and just – injuries and all sorts of stuff kind of limited his ability to play. And then Juco addition, probably one of the biggest pickups that Texas had uh, on the defensive side of the ball, Caleb Johnson at the Rover, who has two years of eligibility. And this may sound blasphemous, but kind of just looks like a Gary Johnson clone in a lot of ways on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a really talented group. And I kind of the same thing I just ended the defensive line with you're looking at a group that has to replace, you know, guys who played a lot of games in Wheeler and Johnson. Um, and, and truly, if you take Malik in that class, since he left a year early, like a really incredible kind of three guys in that linebacking group. And you're replacing them with guys who have that potential. Um, I, I think there is each one of those guys in this group. 
it's going to be – I think you're going to see a bigger step back here immediately. I think Osai is going to be very good. I think he's going to get on the field. I think uh, Dele has the tools, but again, you're, you're going to basically ask the middle linebacker to be a freshman is a tough ask. Um, not that he doesn't have the talent for it, but I think you're going to rely on, on McCullough in that in that – uh, kind of experience that he brings to kind of be the, the one stabilizing force because Caleb Johnson, as good as he is, will be first, you know, snap against LaTeX will be his first snap for the Longhorns. You know, Delhi played some, but not that much. Osai got some some snaps, certainly, but again, you know, n- not bringing wealth of, of experience back with him. So I kind of look to Shark to finally, you know, take that step um, and be the the leader in, in that position room. Yeah, and I think two guys that we haven't mentioned, um, you're going to see DeGabriel Floyd and you're going yeah. to see Joseph Osai. You're going to see those two guys. Uh, Joseph Osai, again, played played in spots this year and looked like a guy who could start for four years. It just happens that the linebacker room is really, really talented. And DeGabriel Floyd is one of those rare high schoolers that you're just like, that dude's going to ball. Like yep. you, you just see that that dude's going to ball out. So I think you see those guys in a rotation. Linebackers are so important in this scheme. And I think especially guys in the big 12 that can play sideline to sideline. And I think Osai and Floyd are those guys. I think Johnson is one of those dudes as well. Defensive backs. Mm-hmm. This is a, a, a weird group. Um, we'll again go through it. So Texas is losing both corners, the nickel back and potentially one of their safeties which is just not not a good feeling. Uh, we know Caden Stearns will be back, so we yep. can we can go ahead and put that one in an in ink. And so if Brandon Jones is back, obvi Brandon Jones will, will take that spot. So what do you see the secondary looking like, Kyle? Like where where does that what does that bode for you? So I mean this is where you come into like I, I think if you get Brand this is almost a little Jordan Humphrey type situation with Brandon Jones. If he comes back what will it be if he's not there? Who will fill that spot? I think if he comes back, Texas immediately has probably, and I, I again, I hate to be the guy who just puffs all of Texas smoke, like we're the best, we're the best, but hey, we're back. Um, they might have the best three safety combination in the country. And I, and I don't think there's any like facetiousness in that. Like Stearns, obviously freshman All-American, like a guy who dominated parts of the year, looked like the best defender at Texas um, for, for a few games like just on that whole team is, is back and going to get better. Um, you obviously bring Brandon Jones back for, for a big year trying to get drafted. And then you, you know, you have to, you have to look at Texas's hitter. I mean, you have to go in there and look at Foster who, you know, is going to be the guy that teams fear. He's, we kind of said it. He's, if he can not get penalized and thrown out for games, he's, he's Ronnie Lott in 20, 2019, which is hard to be because the, the rules have changed a little, but he scares the Dickens out of people going across that middle or even quarterbacks. Cause he blitzes like just three really unique and complimentary, incredible players. And so I think that safety spot is the strength. The corner spot to me, we'll see. I think it can be a strength. I think there's talent, but we'll see. Yeah, I think B.J. Foster's the guy that they get on the field no matter where. So if Brandon Jones doesn't come back, then B.J. Foster's your starting nickel. Mm-hmm. I think if Brandon Jones doesn't come back, then B.J. Foster's your starting safety. And Texas has its starting safeties for the next three years, which yep. is just ridiculous. Um, I think Anthony Cook was inconsistent this year, but he was a freshman, and you see that with freshmen. I think with a, with another year in the system, I think he's going to be an incredible cover corner. I think you'll be talking about him like you talk about some of the big guys um, at Texas. Kobe Boyce is a guy who could show a little bit. Um, a guy that that 
Kenyatta Watson is a really, really good corner. Kenyatta Watson is a shutdown corner. Like people just did not throw at him uh, in his last year and a half at high school. So you could see him fighting for some for some playing time. You could definitely see him fighting to get on the field. I think the other side, you end up looking at probably Josh Thompson as your guy. And then, like I said, I think if Brandon Jones comes back, BJ Foster is probably your nickel. If if Brandon Jones doesn't come back, then I think Chris Brown probably slots into that nickel spot. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I heard you talk about. Did you talk about Jalen Green? I did not mention Jalen Green. So again, that that's the type of depth that it's 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 like the receiving core without the multiple guys at the top who you know. Um, but it's that much talent where they can get seven or eight or nine defensive backs and you feel comfortable with them. I think Jalen Green is crazy talented. This is going to be one of those. If you remember when we signed that class with Hol- we had Holton Hill and Chris Boyd and Devonte Davis, and we kind of the freshman year these were the two best guys, and by their senior year these were the best guys. Like they were all three so good in which week or you know, kind of set of weeks. Uh, the one had the most momentum would be our lockdown corner. I think Holton Hill kind of secured that bag, you know, for the most part. But again, all three of those guys, that's how I feel like you get with that cook, Jalen Green. And and obviously we had a bunch of safeties in there, but, but um, you know, I, I think you had so much talent that we'll see who steps up. I think Kobe Boyce was a guy people were so high coming into this year on, and he just kind of had some bad games. He, he got roasted. I mean, he, he basically was the corner who was the next man up at the start of the season. And he really didn't see many snaps the last probably six weeks. And I, I'm not trying to write off little Kobe boys at this point. I think he's got a chance to, you know, get back and be, you know, that, that type of cornerback. But, you know, again, if he doesn't watch out, cause there's a lot of talent who's ready to step up and take it. Yeah. This is the secondary is so talented, but it's just question marks. Cause mm-hmm. most of the guys haven't, haven't seen significant time outside of Stearns and, you know, foster a little bit, but I think that is, that's going to be a group that's going to be interesting to watch, especially in the big 12 who you have to have good, good defensive backs to, to compete in the big 12. So I think the talent is there. I think it's just going to be, can they gel? Can they adjust? Can they become a unit? Because really on paper, like this is a ridiculously talented defensive unit. Yeah. And, and I mean, two guys who, who I want to talk about right, right here, just, you know, we talked about guys at other positions, again, cross-training the offensive line. We've done it other places. You know, I, I said it with the defensive line. Orlando likes, you know, big guys who can who can be fast and, and do multiple things and kind of don't have to stick to a position. He likes it with his guys in the back as well. I mean, you have Overshone, who we haven't even talked about, who was one of the top recruits in the country and was in that big uh, safety class who played, you know, a lot of kind of cross chained linebacker who could slide up and be linebacker. He really could be purpose fit for that Joker role, especially if Foster slides over at safety. Um, he's just a guy they're going to get on the field. Where that is, I'm not sure, but I don't worry. It's almost positionless football. It's it's that, you know, old total football. These guys can probably interchange and play any number of, you know, from from kind of safety up close, that joker spot to linebacker to deep safety. Like they can play around. And if you have a lot of guys who can do that, you can bring some interesting blitz packages, some interesting coverage schemes. You can do some really cool stuff. And so I think next year the key to this defense is actually Todd Orlando. This is a fully equipped you know, Todd Orlando without guys who are seniors who you know what you have can just draw it up and he can go crazy. And I think that's actually going to be the, the most exciting part of that defense. All right. So quickly, we've got some news for you. Uh, 
Texas, some of the guys we just talked about participated in high school All-American games. You had the Under Armour and the Army All-American games these last weekend. Uh, at the Under Armour, Marcus Washington was named the MVP. Seven receptions for 89 yards and two touchdowns, including a go-ahead win. He found his way to sit on this big throne and looked impressive. Doing it at the Army All-American game, Whittington was not at his uh, his state championship level, but 300 yards would have been a big ask, uh, but had some highlight <laughs> real catches. Uh, DeGabriel Floyd was all over the field. Apparently he was like returning punts in practice at one point, which is just dumb for a uh, linebacker. And then Tyler Owens had a couple of uh, pass breakups and a big hit. I love these All-American games, uh, getting to see the top tier guys against other top tier guys. And, and it yep. just, it drums up excitement for some from players that may have to contribute in, uh, in the coming year. Yeah. I mean, it's it, being from San Antonio, you and I were both uh, always in the city. They play at least one of those, the all American army, all American game. So, you know, it was fun. I went to some of those in high school. I'm not sure if you did, but it's always fun to be right there and see those and kind of see the next big thing. And I love that a lot of those next big things who, who showed out and looked really good, you know, put the horns up when they uh, said where they were going. And, and, you know, it's exciting. I think we talk about these recruits, these kids for like a year and now it's like, this is their final kind of cherry on top. And the next thing they're playing for Texas. So I I can't wait to see all these guys uh, on the 40 acres. Some of these guys are basically like a week out from enrolling in Texas. Seriously. Yeah. (laughs) They're technically college students at this point. Uh, A couple of other quick hitters, Vince Young, your favorite, my favorite, everybody's favorite, uh, elected to the College Football Hall of Fame. Arguably, maybe not arguably, one of the greatest, most impactful Texas Longhorn football players of the last, I don't know, 40 years, you can call it. Deservedly so, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think you have to put any caveats. You could just say one of the greatest college football players of all time, Texas or otherwise, just a, a dominant force, a guy who, you know, a culture is still you know, trying to emulate, trying to be like, he's basically the Michael Jordan of, uh, the, uh, the Texas Plains. So, uh, you know, well-deserved, uh, no surprise, but you know, one of the all-time greats. A couple more quick hits. Caden Stearns was named a freshman All-American by the Football Writers Association of America. We've already talked about him quite a bit today. He deserves it and will probably be an All-American for three more years at the University of Texas. Three Longhorns were AP first team all pros in the NFL, Justin Tucker, Michael Dixon, and Adrian Phillips. So again, Texas is a special team school and we're okay with that. And while we were out volleyball, we're a volleyball podcast. You've said, oh, it, yeah. I've said it. We're a volleyball podcast. Texas kind of cleaned up in the awards and it would take such a long time to read all of them. Uh, but Michaela White, Yasmin yep. Burt Ghani, Morgan Johnson, Logan Eggleston, and Brianna Butler all were named All-Americans by several. Various. Several. All of possibly the volleyball productions out there. I'm not sure who all of these are, but the fact that Texas just continues to, to rise to what it should be nationally, regardless of the sport is impressive. Yeah, and I mean you you look at the you look at the names on there. Mikaya White, she's coming back. She's a junior, probably the best player on the team. Um obviously uh Eggleston, the Big 12 freshman of the year is is a freshman and fellow, you know, freshman All-American Butler. Uh they'll both be here. So the talent is being replaced. Uh they have one of the uh one of the few girls who were um on the the US team uh while in high school. Uh one of them uh one coming in this year. So I mean the talent pipeline is there. Uh they will continue to reload and Jared Elliott squad. So they should be, 
um, every bit as dangerous and every bit as likely to go on a deep run next season. So it'll be exciting for Texas's foremost volleyball podcast. Let's just keep building. So now it's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this? Mm, I'm not sure if you can hear me. I'm breathing it in, breathing it deep, letting it letting it go through the nostrils, into the lungs, get into the blood system. Just mm, it is my lifeblood. It is what I my sustenance, what I what I thrive on is the horns down. I love it. Give me all your horns down. Uh, Romans, countrymen, friends, lend me your horns down. I, I loved watching these All-American games where the OU kids, these children who do not yet know um, anything about the, the, the poor life decision they made to associate themselves with that institution across the Red River. But they do already know that the most important thing is that you put your fingers like the horns. When you are 18 years old and you define yourself already by not being able to get into the University of Texas, um, I loved it. So the, the kids did it and it just sustained me because we're back, baby. Everyone said it. Texas is back. It has been confirmed. There have been multiple alumni who uh, who, who who put that out there. Obviously, Sam. Um, we have a, a video. Good good friend of the podcast, Zach Canard, made a fantastic video that uh, we're going to try to put out there on on media or, or get it published somewhere. Um, but it's uh, a compilation of Vince saying we're back as well as Sam, and and just a little treat as well um, for their back. That should should make it just a little bit creepy in all the best ways. But nonetheless, we're back. That's also been confirmed by departing senior um, dude who we, as we said before the season, very smart. He's like cum laude. He's a, he's a certified, very smart guy. That's PJ Locke. Um, he said in his outgoing tweet, basically he came to the University of Texas with a goal in mind and it's been achieved that Texas is back. So you cannot dispute it. A smart person said that we're back. And that means that the horns are going to keep flying. The people are going to keep their eyes on us. We're going to occupy rent-free headspace in all sorts of Aggie Sooner, you know, whatever, it, Red Raider, insert anyone else. We are the Joneses. We will be the, the, the team that everyone's coming for. In fact, Texas actually, just to confirm what we all already knew, Texas overtakes um, the second place, or excuse me, the Ohio State as the uh, the most valuable football program so there is no metric in which you can look at that texas is not just all the way back the only thing lacking is to get back to the sugar bowl for next year's national championship i'm gonna bang the drum brought to you by joe ruiz and continue this train of texas uh being at the forefront of everything so uh etsy I'm not one to peruse Etsy. That's not really my bag. Uh, they do have some nerdy art that I will buy from time to time. Bag was just a fun pun that I made there. Um, but Etsy forecasted that the color burnt orange is the it fashion color of 2019. Burnt orange is the color that you need to be wearing, both to be on the right side of history in college football and to be on the right side of the fashion trends, according to Etsy, which according to my wife is at the forefront of everything that you need to know as far as people making stuff and selling it to you at a ridiculous upcharge. So <laughs> Etsy says that Texas is the it color by proxy, because I believe that burnt orange is a proper noun at this point. So Texas is back in fashion. Are you saying Gerald that we will be in the year of 2019 living in some kind of burnt orange nation? Uh, yes. Yes. 
We'll be living in a burnt orange nation, and we'll be subjects of the Longhorn Republic for sure. I yeah, love it. So, burnt orange, the color du jour. I mean, you can check it out. It's on Etsy's blog in December of 2018. Stuff you need to watch for. Enjoy it. And if you're anything like me, you're not really fashion forward unless it happens by accident. So <laughs> the fact that burnt orange and bootcut jeans apparently are both coming back in style, we could just be fashionable by accident this year. Let's do it together. Let's I make love it a it. thing. I love it. <laughs> but that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. We are just having a good time on social media now. Uh, you can always email us, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. If you want to have your tweet read on air, hit us up at hashtag replies of Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time, hook them. Hook them. Hook em.